Hi, good morning, church. My name is Alicia Lee, and I am one of the lay pastors here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Um, it's my privilege to welcome you to LMCC this morning, um, and I'm just filled with joy. Uh, I'm filled with joy at being here on a Sunday, being surrounded by all of you, being uh, able to worship with you in the presence of God. And I'm filled with joy for this weekend. It's the first weekend of October. Uh, is there anything more glorious in New York City? This is peak fall, and uh, it coincides with um, uh, episode three of a six-part series that our lead pastor, Logan Gentry, is bringing us um, this fall called Successful Spiritual Spirituality. It's based on the book of Philippians. And we're in part three of six, which means we're in the middle of the story. This is the peak. It's the turning point, and you don't want to miss a word. Um, I have a couple of announcements uh, this morning. The first is that community groups are just getting underway. So if you haven't signed up yet, you haven't missed your chance. Um, please reach out to Marcy Miller. Um, you can see her email flash up on the screen. Um, and we've got every flavor in the ice cream shop. So every night of the week, every day of the week, men's, women's, scripture, sermon, um, please check it out and sign up. Um, the second announcement is that our women's retreat is right around the corner. Um, it's not this Friday, um, but the following Friday, uh, October 15th. And uh, a small group of us have been getting together to pray about this retreat for a while now. And um, we think that the Lord has a special message for you. We think that there's something special that he has for you. And we've really tried to remove every obstacle that might stand in the way. Um, first, we're having it in the city this year. We've never done that before. So you don't have to travel. It's right here. It couldn't be more convenient. Um, if cost is an issue for you, we're offering scholarships. If you're not sure what to expect, please stop us after church, reach out to us. We're happy to give you a preview. Now, we've been really pleased um, that signups have exceeded our expectations, but we do still have a few spots. And um, if I may say, I, there have been a couple of groups that have struck out to me as I've looked at the signups. You know, there's been a group of women who've been around the church for a long time, but we actually haven't seen all that much of one another over the last year and a half, so it's really going to be a wonderful reunion. And then there's a group that actually haven't been coming to this church for all that long. There's a group that is new, and you know that group is sort of dipping a toe in the water, getting to know people, and I'm excited to draw all of, uh, all of um, that group uh, into community together. So you really don't want to miss it. So that, that's the big sales pitch. Um, women's retreat starting next Friday the 15th. Um, so before we get to our message today, um, I will also be doing the scripture reading. Um, today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature a God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, I like that Alicia called these episodes because it makes me feel like I'm in Ted Lasso, and that's uh, my not-so-secret dream for my life. Um, I do believe God has a message for you, but I don't want his message to get lost in the messiness that is my mind. Um, And so what I want to do is pause and pray. Uh, Because I really want what we just sang to be true, that you would feel like you're face-to-face with God, um, that He is speaking to you, um, what you need to hear this morning. And so if you'll join me in inviting Him to do that, uh, let's pray. God, these are your words. And they have a special role to play in each of these lives and in the lives of our church community. And so would you make them make sense to us? Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to think that what you have to say is not only true, but is really good. So that's what we ask you to do today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Humility is the only successful way. Humility is the only successful way. That's the title of my message. That's what this passage calls out to us. But it's also the echoing message of the entirety of the scriptures. That those who want to be successful, there's a path towards it. It's humility. Those of you who are successful, what are you supposed to do with your success? It's to use it in humility. Let me show you what I mean by that. The only way to your success is through humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Most of us wish that proper time was a little bit shorter. We love the idea of God exalting us. We don't like the path. But it's not just the path for your individual success. It's the only way to our success as a church community, and I believe as a society. And I think it's the last and the least practiced and the most missing element inside of every church, inside of every family, inside of every business, is humility. And I say that as far as it's the only path to our success because that's what God says. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God says, If my people, who are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I love that last phrase, heal their land. Um, I want to talk about that word heal though, because in our American healthcare system, healing typically means the absence of disease, the absence of sickness, or uh, the absence of symptoms. And our goal is to just kind of have something be absent from our lives. But God uses the word healing to say, I want something to be abundant in your life. It's not that he just wants the bad to be absent. He wants you to be overflowing with the good. So when he says heal, he means wholeness, wholeness and abundance. And we need healing. We need healing from this god-awful disease and its various variants that are invented every single day. And we need healing from the societal re reactions to that. But instead of thinking about heal their land and only thinking about America, which I would love for it to be healed, that'd be great. Let's just talk about LMCC. Because when it says heal their land, too often we think about something other than where we are living. And God wants you to think about the land in which you're living, the home in which you're in, the community you're a part of, and how are you bringing healing and wholeness and abundance to that group. And Alicia alluded to it, but we're in a very strange and unique time as a church. I actually feel like we have two churches that are trying to form one body at the moment. There are those of you, you might be brand new today, and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Um, there are some of you that have been around for a little while, just you're brand new, and you're in the honeymoon phase, and I'm really enjoying hanging out with you. But there's others of us in the community that have been around for four to almost 17 years. And we've been through a lot together. And then we endured the pandemic together. And through that, there's been this separation. And as a result of that separation, as a result of the challenges that we faced, the things that Paul talks about in the beginnings of Philippians chapter 2 no longer mark us as a body. And so we're trying to build towards that, where he says, be of one mind, yet we are of many agendas, where he speaks to having this love and care and unity for one another, but we've been in a society that is suspicious of the other, and so we've yet to be truly vulnerable again as a community. And so there is healing that needs to come to this land, and I'm ready for us to do it. And it involves me and it involves you, if it's your first day or if it's your 1,000th day inside of this church, I hope that that's a possibility, that you embrace this humility being the only way. Now don't hear me say anything negative about LMCC. I think we have the best church around. Um, I really do. And that's not just because I'm the pastor. Um, I actually say that as a member. Um, that I believe being a part of this community is the best thing that's ever happened to me and my family, and I hope that you can say that as well. But I'm okay with living in this paradox, that we are not the perfect church, not that that ever exists, but that we're patiently pursuing what it looks like to be the church that God describes. And I just feel God saying over and over again to each of you individually, but to us collectively, instead of aiming to be perfect, welcome this idea of being a paradox. Because you, yourself, are a paradox. Something that seems to contradict yourself, right? 
Because you're successful, but you still have needs. There's part of your life that is healed, but you're still hurting. If any of you are like me, you're grieving, and yet you still have a lot of hope. You know, I have kids, and I want them to be successful, but I don't want them to be crushed by my expectations of their future success. You know, some of you want to have the perfect marriage, but you don't want to compromise, right? There are these paradoxes that are inside of us, and instead of seeing ourselves as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, depending on the moment, embracing this paradox is the reality of our humanity, and it's the reality that God wants us to walk underneath his divinity. And it's powerful. Um, Carl Jung is one of the most famous psychiatrists of the 20th century. If you ever use the language of introverted or extroverted, like he's the one that introduced that to our society. He says, the paradox is one of our most valuable spiritual possessions. Only the paradox comes anywhere near to comprehending the fullness of life. Now I'm highlighting the paradox because humility is more of a paradox than we think. Because we have a lot of different definitions of humility. Some of them are good, some of them are awful. You know, some of them are like, let me just think so lowly and tiny of myself, and, other, and others are big. That's not what humility is. C.S. Lewis says it's, that you, it's not that you think less of yourself, but it's that you think of yourself less. It's close. But the language of Jesus, I think, more mirrors it, where he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness rhymes with weakness, but it is no means close together. Meekness is this unbridled power that has been tamed in service. That there is great strength, but it is used not for power over another, but it is used in service of the other. And so humility is this paradox that is beautiful. The way that I'm going to kind of suggest to look at humility is that you would have an accurate awareness of yourself in order to attempt to take on the attitude and the actions of Jesus Christ. Because this passage says there is only one definition of humility, and you see it in Jesus. But you only see it in Jesus when you see the paradox of who Jesus was, God and man. It doesn't make sense. It seems to contradict itself. But this passage answers some of the most difficult questions we have about God and it is one of the most beautiful pictures of not only who God is, but what it is for us to follow Him. And so as we walk through humility, I'm going to have three specific sections that I'm going to ask you to embrace. That you would take on an attitude of humility as we see in Christ. That you would take on the actions of humility that we see in Christ. And that you would have an awareness of where you stand in regards to humility as it relates to Christ. So in regards to the attitude of humility, here's what I mean by attitude of humility, is that you're believing in the power of paradox in the human and divine Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 again with me. It'll be on the screen. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very, very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. All right. 
I said this passage provides answers to some deep questions we ask about God and what we think about him. But I want you to see that it gives you answers, but you have to accept that those answers are still a mystery. Because when it describes God as someone who is the very, Jesus specifically is saying, I have equality with God, but it's not something to be grasped, why I took on flesh. We want to parse that out and go, how did he do it? Did he stop being God in his 33 years on earth? Did he then become God again? Was he human before? We want to ask all these questions. But the scripture gives us some beautiful answers, but they're still a mystery. And unless you're able to embrace mysteries of God, you're going to be frustrated the rest of your life. One of the questions that, that this passage answer is, are the claims of Jesus true? Because it says he is both God and man. He is God who took on flesh to become man. And for us, some of our claims of Jesus, we assess and we ask this question. We believe Jesus is a really good rabbi and a teacher. There's no denying that he is an historical figure that has reshaped the framework of human history. There is no denying that. But Jesus didn't claim to just be a historical figure that mattered in a moment and then would be someone we refer to in history books. He claimed to be much more than that, more than a prophet, more than a historical figure and a good teacher. He claimed to be God himself in the flesh. And then he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it in power through his miracles. He demonstrated in love. He demonstrated in mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Many times where they said, only God can do that. And he said, you're right. And that's why I'm doing it. Are these claims true? This passage answers and says, absolutely. Because Jesus, though he had equality with God, he was up in the heavens, took on flesh so he could be with you. And that reality answers the second question of, is God good? Is he good? Does he care? Does he care for the thing that hurts you most right now? Does he care for the thing that you wish would change most right now? This passage says unequivocally yes. And it ruins any bad mindset we have that God is some distant deity that sits up in the white castle and demands for us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Because it says he took on flesh, dwelt among us, went so far as to die. The other scriptures say that he was a great high priest, suffered in every way you suffered so that he could advocate on your behalf and comfort you in every affliction. Where are you suffering right now? What is the biggest pain that you're experiencing? It was my counselor a few weeks ago who said, you know, in the middle of your pain, remember that Jesus experienced that pain. And she forced me to think about the situation in my life that looks nothing like Jesus in my construct. And say, do you remember when in the life of Jesus in the Gospels he experienced something similar? And in doing so, I was connected to God and his divinity by seeing God and his humanity. This paradox, the beauty of God saying, I see your pain and I'm stepping into it. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. I wept with you and I got on the floor with you. You've been betrayed. I know what that's like. I sat across the table from a good friend and told him to do it quickly because I don't like long betrayals. What is the pain? 
What is the hurt that you're harboring today that you brought with you? What it would be like for you to imagine being there with Jesus and him taking that harbored hurt so that you could be healed. See, this passage answers these questions to say there is no, no greater paradox than Jesus Christ. And that means there's nothing more beautiful than this paradox. And I called it an attitude of humility because it says take on the mindset of Christ. An attitude is the set way of thinking that then guides your behavior. To believe as Jesus did. Now the attitude of humility is all about value. And in this it's seen in two ways with Jesus Christ. The value of self and the value you place on others. Jesus says he doesn't equate equality with God as something to be grasped. Now that word can be translated as something held onto or something that counts. Something that's on your scorecard. Paul will later use that, that word in chapter 3 to go through the fact that he thought his ethnicity was the greatest thing that mattered. He thought the tribe within his ethnicity was the greatest thing that mattered. He, he said, my career and what I've been able to achieve, how I was seen by others I thought mattered. And he said, I count it all as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So the value you place on yourself, the question you have to ask is, what scorecard am I keeping for myself that's going to communicate I have value? At one point, for all of us, it was the grades we got in school. And then we graduated from that. Others of us count how our parents or our loved ones see us and if they're proud of us. There's a bank account that we say, if it reaches this level, I have security and therefore I count and have value. What are the things that are your scorecard of self? Maybe let me flip that. What is the scorecard of God in your mind? where he counts. Does Jesus only count in your life because of the good he does? Does he not count anymore because he challenges areas of your life that he wants you to change? What value does Jesus have? I say that matters because Jesus wants to value as Jesus himself in your life. Just being Jesus. And he wants the value of self for you to just be simply in Christ Jesus. That you would have an identity as a child of God, first and foremost, and that's your scorecard, and therefore you're okay. This value of self. Because Jesus' value, he, could, he has the best scorecard. And yet he gets in the dirt with the most sinful. He gets in the middle of our mess. He takes on flesh this grimy reality that we have. And he shows us this paradox of the beauty of our divinity and yet deep in our insecurities and we're watching him walk free of insecurities. And the value of self that he places, he doesn't have entitlement, he doesn't have demands on others. He shows up and loves each and every person the same. He knows his value. So an attitude of humility is knowing your self-value. And I genuinely don't believe that you can be humble in this life towards anyone else until you have a value of self. Some of your values of self are way too high. It's okay if you bring it down a few notches. Some of your values of self are way too low. And God is wanting you to bring it up a few notches. But until you have that value, it's really hard for you to take on humility. Because the second value that is displayed through humility is the value you place on others. It says, have this mindset that you see others as more valuable than yourself. 
One way for self of me to understand this humility is to look at the opposite of humility. And the opposite of humility is not pride. It's narcissism. Because the opposite of humility and being in narcissism is attitude and actions where others only exist to orbit around you. They only exist as how they prop up you, how they praise you. They are just cogs in the system and the machine to make your system run better. Because their value is only about what they can contribute in your life. So let me ask you this. Who have you cut out of your life because they no longer contribute to your life? Isn't it really great that Jesus doesn't cut us out of his divinity because we no longer contribute to his kingdom? This is the greatness of Christ. And what I want you to see is this attitude of humility is believing in the power of paradox in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. This whole series is built on this premise that your Christian spirituality is how well you can channel your energy, every part of your life, through Christ for the good of others. You will never have this attitude unless it is in Jesus. And not just by faith that you can call yourself a Christian, but that you're abiding in Jesus. That in each and every moment you're going, how can I be like Jesus and have his attitude in this set, in this setting, this mindset? It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. But the good news is it's not just a feeling or a posture. Some of us treat humility as this posture, like false humility, and if I speak in a soft tone, then I'm humble. Some of us, it's like a feeling. Do I feel, you know, humble today? But Jesus shows that humility is both an attitude and actions. And so I want to move from this section of attitude into action. Because it wasn't just that he had an idea, it's that he lived it out. And the actions of humility are living the paradox of Jesus' life for the good of others. It's living in this paradox that if, when you place your faith in Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, and yet you still have flesh that you're trying to wrestle with and work through. Living this attitude. It says he was found in appearance as a man, yet he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. These two steps. How he appeared, how he showed up to someone else, and then how he sacrificed for someone else. Have you ever been in those conversations where you've met the same person for the 10th time because they don't remember your name and they're just looking beyond you? What's fascinating about Jesus is that he does things that we don't. That the people that we ignore, he seems to pay attention to. And the people that we clamor to be around, he tends to ignore. He shows up, found in appearance as a man. He was found regularly, face to face with people. The greatest picture of these two actions is found in John chapter 8. A woman is caught in adultery, which means that a man and woman were caught in adultery, but somehow the woman gets punished most. And she gets thrown down in front of Jesus. And the rabbis think they caught him. Because he either has to choose the law and punish her, or choose her and disregard the law. And then, well, he can't really be God anymore. It says he got down in the dirt where she was thrown. And then he looks up 
rock in hand. It says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says, little by little, starting with the older ones and then the younger ones, because the older one know <laughs> faster than the young ones, that they have no right to cast those stones. He alone had the ability to cast that stone. In his humility, he got down with the woman being condemned and lifted her up. And he said, does no one condemn you? Neither do I. So he sacrificed justice, knowing that he would take it on himself on the cross in that moment to give mercy. That he showed up for the merciful in that way. What would it look like for you and I to take on the actions of humility with one another? Because that's what Paul is concerned He's concerned with, in every relationship with one another inside this church, take on the mindset and the actions of humility of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you what I feel like God is showing me about my role in this community. I have this title. I'm the lead pastor. And the more and more I'm a pastor, the more and more I realize it is a very weird job. I know it's weird because when people find out I'm a pastor, they act weird. <laughs> On vacation this summer, I had the gift of meeting someone from New Jersey who carried with them every stereotype of being a Jerseyite. Sorry, those of you Jersey people. Love you. But, but there's some characters. And... She finds out I'm from New York, and she launches into some flowery and colorful language that if I said that, you would no longer want me to be the lead pastor of this church. And she, she says, you live in New York, that's amazing, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, and I'm cussing in front of the pastor. What am I thinking? This is crazy. And I said, it's crazier when you hear the, cast, the pastor cuss, but don't hang out with me too much. I share that to say, like, I carry this title pastor, but I'm just a member of this community as well. I'm this living paradox walking amongst you, where I feel like God has bestowed upon me this responsibility to be this conduit of the vision he has for what this community might be, and to join alongside our other pastors in seeking with my entire life that it might become a reality. And yet I enter into this community as a member that needs you to be a conduit of God to me. And I want you to walk in as someone who has something to contribute as much as you have something to consume. Because you come in that same paradox. You may not have the title in this community. But you come with divinity within you. And those of you who share my faith, you actually come with the Holy Spirit of God endowed upon you with power and grace and truth in such a way that you can speak life and love and truth when I need it and when the person sitting two chairs down from you because they didn't want to get too close to you needs it as well. See, you've come into this community and you might be more aware of your needs or you might be more aware of what you can give. But I want you to embrace the paradox that you have both. 
to take on the actions and the attitude of humility that you come with both. That I look at you as someone who is endowed with the beautiful image of God, that he can fill with power in such a way that I don't have and I need and everyone else in this community needs as well. You are here to receive and you are here to give. And the actions of humility are that you would take an attitude of, I have value in and of myself to contribute here. That when I go to a community group, I want something out of it, but I can't wait to see what I might contribute to it. That when we serve those in our neighborhood, that you might think about what you can give to them, but also what you can receive from them. That we take on these actions of humility and Paul is so clear throughout the entire rest of the chapter that it is all about how we treat each other. He goes on to say, then do nothing out of grumbling and complaining. Well, we failed there. Have the same mindset. Have the same unity. Have the same love. If you have any consolation, any comfort, do that for one another. We fail often. And so come into this community not with the high demands that it would be something different than the church out there or the church you experienced. But come into this community understanding that we are a living paradox with the beauty of God and the, the massive pain of our own sins. And the only way we move forward is through the human and divine Jesus Christ somehow manifesting inside of us by being humble enough to be underneath His hand because if we'll never be under the mighty hand of God, we will never be exalted to live above the world around us. But he says, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you at the proper time. He'll make us better than the world around us. He'll make us better than we are right now. And we need it. The last thing I want to share with you is just that we might have an awareness of humility. And by awareness of humility, I want you to have a right sense of self. And saying that is also a paradox, because I'm not sure you'll ever have a right sense of yourself. Because our self gets so distorted and our demands on ourself gets shifted based on the situation so often that we're confused about who we are half the time. Sorry, I'll say we, I'm confused about who I am about half the time. Right? This sense of self. See, if I ask you this question, what do you have to give to others in this community? I've heard answers to that of, man, I don't have enough knowledge of the Bible. I don't, man, I don't even know what prayer is. You know, I, I've never, this Holy Spirit thing, that's so confusing. I don't even grasp all that. It's like, well, we're not a seminary. We're not asking you to be professors to come and just teach us the, all your wise grand knowledge, O oh sage. Come and teach us little ones. What you have to give to others, what I see regularly, are stories and testimonies. When I think about these two churches that I think exist inside of this one body, I think about everyone that is new to our community, and I think about how so many of you who are new mirror the stories of where people were when they came four, five, six, seventeen years ago. And I think about the work that God has done in their lives over this time, being in this community regularly, praying, reading the word, worshiping, and how that changed them. 
and how they have such great things to offer you who are trying to figure out what it is to be single in New York City, married in New York City, have your first, second, third kids, raise teenagers, someone help me. But I think about all these people that have gone before us, and if that's you, if that's you and you're sitting in this church today or you're watching online, we need you to come back. We need you to come back and engage. But the way that you engage is not by demanding some nostalgia of what we once were. That's not what God wants for us anymore. But come back to be vulnerable to hear from God what his vision for us is now and how you can be a part of it. Be vulnerable with your story and your testimony. But also those of you who are new, it's not an accident that God brings people together. You know, we say that at, at weddings. Oh, you guys are just perfect for each other. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You're here for a reason. First Sunday, many Sundays. You're here for a reason. And so you are brought here because God says you have something to give this community they don't have. There is a gap. We have holes. We are imperfect. We are progressing towards what God has for us. And you have a part to play. Not because you're perfect, not because your life is put together, not because you have made it and therefore you can now pass it on to others. That's what society tells us. We find the ones who have the best practices, the most success, and they say they have something to give to us. <laughs> no, stop. Jesus alone has something to give to us. And we are just his children wanting to be a part of his kingdom work inside of this church together. Answer with sincerity, what do you have to give to others in this community? Let God answer that question. Second is, what do you need help with? What do you need help with? If you will never reveal where you need help or healing, you'll never be healed. You'll never be healed. It could be a besetting sin. It could be a sickness that chronically plagues you. If you never go to the doctor, you'll never get over it. If you're never spiritually able to acknowledge that you're wrong or that you're in need, you will never find the right truth and goodness of God. You'll never be healed. Now, how do you do that? Let me show you what David says in the Psalms. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Humility is the only successful way, and it begins by you humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God to say, search me, know me. And that conscience of yours that tells you that's not right, God has a hand in that and saying, this is what's wrong. That part of you that says, I feel good about what God has done in my life. That's God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, only through the awareness of humility can we take on an attitude of humility and do the actions of humility. Because Jesus looked out and said, only I, 
can go down and take on flesh and live a perfect sinless life and die a death where I am humiliated by the ones I created that through my death and resurrection they could be healed. And in his awareness he took on a mentality and attitude and then he carried out the actions. And then he looks to you and I and he says you can have this mindset in Christ Jesus. And so our prayer to close today is one of repentance and receiving and it is simply this. Lord, I am not naturally humble, so I choose Christ's humility. And through Christ's humility, I will act for the good of others. Let's pray. Jesus, there really is no one like you. why we say and sing, Jesus, it's you. It's been you from the start. You, the Alpha and the Omega. You, the Lion and the Lamb. You, the one crucified and yet risen. The great paradox. Spirit, I just ask now that you go and speak to your sons and daughters. Affirm them and then awaken them. Affirm them in how you've made them. Awaken them to what you want to do in them. For it's you and you alone that can do it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.